This is part two of the two-part season two finale. We are going to get into it right now. So you, you also asked a bunch of questions that people want us to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah. So let's, since let's this is our... Yeah. So since this was our last episode, I was like, okay, is there anything that we haven't, you know, kind of trying to get out, is there anything that we haven't covered in the last, however many episodes of this season that mm -hmm. we should talk about? And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I have a list and we can just kind of go through them. Um, yeah. but yep. yeah. So the first one was, um, how to know when to end a friendship. When it no longer serves the mission and purpose for your life. Say more about that. Well, um, you know, I think it's, man, I feel like some, it's, I think there are one, I think way to, to, to at least be, begin to ask yourself the question is when you no longer have shared experiences um that doesn't mean that you should end the friendship but it should just give you a sense of is this friendship still uh vital to where my life is going now i think the good thing about that is that it it gives you the freedom not to be anxious about it but also it gives you the freedom too to be open to it if it ever arises again an example I think of this is high school friends, you know, like right. those ones end all the time. Um, but sometimes they just like are dormant uh, and they resurface again. And sometimes when they come back up, at least for me, I've been able to see how some of them are still like, uh, they still resonate with where my life is going. And some of them haven't. And, but I still have, you know, that, but at least like that's how I, I process them. Now, some I think with with newly formed relationships and young ones, that's the that's the, the challenging one. And there, I think was uh, I think I would just say again, it's like if a friendship isn't enhancing the direction your life is going in, um, then I think you just got to tell them. Yeah. You know? You know, just, mm. just, but I guess the, the question that becomes, how do you tell them? And I think it's just, yeah, uh, yeah, just gotta be, just have to, there has to be some sense of remorse when you end something that's important to you. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of it has to do with why as well, you know, like, if, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. It. Like what, what is the reason that they're no longer like serving the direction? And even I'm trying to remember where I heard this. This is from a long time ago, uh, so I can't attribute the the principle. But um, somebody was somebody said that like at any given time, a third of your friendships should be with people who are more mature with, than you. Yeah, a mm -hmm. third should be about the same, and then a third that are, yeah. should be like people who are less mature than you. And I think that number fluctuates with our own maturity for sure. Like there have been times in my life where I've just not had the emotional capacity to like sort of uh have relationships where i'm always giving 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 mm -hmm. um and just needed like and also probably like sometimes i don't have like with people that are sort of like a bottomless pit of needs i don't it's hard to know like where to draw boundaries in those relationships um mm -hmm. and and if it really is that difficult sometimes it's just better to let them go mm -hmm. um but i do think it is not everyone necessarily needs to be moving you towards a goal that you have in mind, because sometimes mm -hmm. like that relationship can push you to grow and yeah. like, uh, become a more loving person. And, That's right. yeah. and honestly, like just, uh, like you could be performing a very important service in their life, mm -hmm. but also yeah, yeah. on the other hand, like if, like I would say most of us have some codependent tendencies of some kind, like if those are being activated, then it's important to figure out how to draw boundaries. And sometimes boundaries can mean ending a friendship. So, yeah. 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 And I think too, is like, um, 
one thing also I would say is something like this is uh sometimes I feel like and I haven't experienced this but I'm just wondering if it could be true sometimes some friendships can end uh in a way that's like a, a bit not amicable but um so you know my my job like I I left my the company I was working for and I joined a new one and I remember when I left like I was genuinely sad because I mm-hmm. made a lot of friends there and yeah um and you know the I was able to leave uh in a way that we separated but were able to remain on on good terms I feel like there's a way that friendships can end like that so it doesn't I think maybe some of this is I guess maybe a, the reason the, the question probably assumes that it's like something that's going to be like you know pretty gnarly um but also I wonder um if sometimes relationships also can just fade away because mm-hmm. I think that's like, the more common thing because for the most part I feel like well not for the most part but I should say that someone should just test whether or not someone thinks about test whether they think about you as much as you think about them totally yeah that's, that's I've had friendships that have honestly ended that way simply because I was like I have been initiating in this friendship for years and it's never been reciprocal and I'm just really tired of that dynamic and yeah. um you know I want relationships that are reci- reciprocal and I have even now like I have a friend that I haven't talked to her in months but I still consider her a good friend she just has like right. really busy seasons in her in mm-hmm. in her year and so I just know for like three months of three to four months of the year I'm probably not gonna like hang out with her but um but because that's spoken and because other times it is reciprocal yeah, then it's okay right. um right and but like when when it's consistently not reciprocal even if you just the, you know yeah. then it's that speaks volumes yeah. so yeah that's the key. yeah yeah, that would be my thing. Is like before yeah. you like say like, oh, well, something's got to happen. There has to be like a confrontation. Uh, chances are they the other person doesn't think about you as much as you think about them. Yeah, but, it's true. But check, just test it. If they initiate whatever, then I mean, doesn't mean like one time doesn't solve everything. But um, you know, it's just something to something to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, this this kind of this is funny. This just popped in my head. But when I was in my online dating days, which like I was never in a relationship that lasted very long through that, but my online dating motto was uh, to leave people better than I found them, which isn't to say that like I'm responsible to like make someone grow up or like fix them or whatever, but uh, to like ask questions that they maybe hadn't been asked before or um, like if I saw something that was like strange or like something, you know, challenging that I, cause that's also just like my personality. I'd be like, Hey, have you noticed that you like say this thing a lot and it's really wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think that that's true for friendships, you know, and I would hope that like, uh, even if a friendship ends that that person is like, uh, more, independent or um like has a uh more complete view of themselves or of the world or they've like something about their friendship with you has benefited them and made them a better person and i think as long as you can say that like it's a win regardless so yeah yeah totally all right so solved the friendship problem the next one yeah solving problems so uh so the next question is um and i i I intentionally didn't ask for a definition on this because i think it's almost better if we don't have one uh but the person asked what we think of wokeism and that Uh, there was quotes around wokeism yeah And I don't know this to be to be clear too. I don't know this person well enough anymore to know what they think. So, yeah, um, yeah this is gonna be. Yeah, I personally don't like it because it's too. 
I like the fact that Maddie was here last time. It's too self-righteous. And I just don't see a big enough connection with the larger movement of civil rights. Uh, or at least I don't see a... Because I think that the civil rights movement was robust. Mm. And it was more... Uh, it was it was multidimensional mm-hmm. in a way that this isn't. Yeah. And part of that, too, I think, attends to what I, I believe the spiritual dimension is very important. Yeah. And by that, I don't simply mean the Christian dimension, but I feel like at some point there there has to be some shared acknowledgement in, in some way. I don't know how what that's going to be, but some way that. uh you know, virtues are, are important and, and that uh, centers of worship can, and I got this from Anthony Bradley, can provide some social benefit in the process of justice. And uh, so that's, that's where, that's, that's, that's how I feel. Um, and, 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 and a part of that just comes to from the the, the fact that this idea of being woke also, um, you know, came came to be, at, at, you know, in the same kind of time as cancel culture. Right. Which, which I find. To yeah, be, they go hand in hand, which I find to be like completely unproductive. I think mm-hmm. it's the I think it's it's so uh, unhelpful. Uh, that. um that it just doesn't, it, yeah, it, it doesn't, it's not compelling to me. It's not sophisticated enough. It mm. doesn't attend to the fact that public discourse uh, has to have an an element of provocation. Yeah. Uh, and that is a part of the dialogue. And cancel culture does not attend to that. Yeah. Um, and in fact, cancel culture allows itself to be provocative and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So that I feel like is a, is, is a spirit that just yeah. is so, is so annoying um, that I don't buy into it. And the problem with wokeism is that it's tied to that. And so what I'd rather have is uh, uh, something, something else, something, something older. So, yeah. 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 It's interesting. I think, um, I like agree with everything that you've said. I think, but I think of like wokeism, like that term so different, not so differently, but I think, I don't think it's been monopolized by one political party or like one end of the spectrum or whatever. Um, I think like conservatives have their own version of it and it's like, how there's like the litmus tests are, you know, like it's essentially a test of ideological purity. Yeah. And, and each uh, side has it. Cancel culture exists across the spectrum. Um, But I also think about like, I don't like cancel culture. I think I agree with you. It's very unproductive, but I also don't think that that means that no one should be canceled. Yeah. Well, I've, well, and I, I've, I wish that there was different words to use for that. Yes. Yeah. Because canceling is like, so what does that mean? So you just can't be on social media anymore or, yeah. or, or what? And, and also like being canceled, what does that actually do for the person on what ground? See, now this gets into like all into the weeds of like, on what grounds are you being canceled and so on and so forth. That's again, more sophisticated than you can have in a, yeah. a soundbite or in one blog post. You know, and this yeah. is my problem. And also, that you mentioned it for me, like the whole the the, the term wokeism to me sounds like it has this. There's got this tinge of like uh, of being pejorative. Um, oh yeah, definitely. That, and so, like the term itself is uh, is insulting. Uh, I don't mean I'm insulted, but I've, right. I, I I I just wouldn't use it on anybody um, to describe what what kind of projects they're, they're, they're doing. Um, so, well, for the simple reason that it doesn't serve any purpose except to be like douchey, you know, like it's, it's thrown around now as it's purely almost purely as an insult, you know, like, 
oh, well, he's so woke or, you know, like, you know, well, like they're just not woke enough or, you know, like stuff like that. And I think I, I also think it's, uh, it views awareness as a static thing and it views like ideology as a static thing rather than something that like, hopefully all of our, all of our views are evolving and maturing over time. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have friends who like, won't be friends with certain people who like disagree with them on like a couple of things. I'm like, you thought that way five years ago. Like, why can't you extend some grace to someone who like, doesn't believe the same way that you do now? Like, why does everyone have to be where you are now in order to warrant your time and like your, you know, your friendship. And I mean, it's not, it's back to the friendship question. It's not up to me to like decide what that line is for different people. It's going to be different for different people, but um, yeah. Yeah. It's not, you're right. It's not, it's not nuanced or sophisticated enough. Yeah. I remember Dr. Price once was talking about, it was a panel about, you know, black about race or something. And, you know, he's like, you know, if somebody were to come to him and say, you know, Dr. Price, I don't agree with you about X, Y, and Z. Dr. Price's first question about, well, what have you read? You know, and that is a, a great question because it's like, it, you know, um, you have to, if you have, if you disagree about a position that's different, there has to be some kind of substantive, uh, like disagreement. And that, you know, to me is like, that's just kind of is, is, is where I'm at is, you know, if anybody's got a problem with me or whatever. And I mean, that part of it is, you know, I started, um, you know, listen, <laughs> I started listening to Dan Shapiro because he can kind of, he sometimes comes, it comes off mad douchey and like can be a bit of a, you know, whatever. Is it Ben but, Shapiro? Uh, ben, yeah, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, yeah. Okay, who's, yeah. Who's Dan Shapiro? I don't know. That's what I was confused for a second. I was like, oh, oh no, it's Ben. Okay. Ben, Ben Shapiro. Yeah, I started listening to him. Yeah. He's kind of douchey, whatever. But, you know, I, man, the problem with, and for me is like some of the stuff he talks about, like, I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know? And so it's like, um, and here I'm not saying like, you know, I'm, I'm perfect or whatever, but, you know, it's, I realize that I have to make an effort to understand, to, to understand, or at least try and understand people who believe differently from me. That way, if, when I do disagree, I can, I actually know what I'm disagreeing about. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's really key. I think, which is like, how often do you hear a straw man argument in any situation? And often not even, it's not even made in bad faith. We just genuinely don't understand alternate positions well enough to be able to engage yeah yeah um but yeah i think that's that's really valuable um yeah okay we should move along there's i'm sure more we can say about that but let's move on wokeism has been solved uh okay this is very very similar question i'm gonna save the the big one for the end but this is a similar question um let me see i gotta synthesize this for a second in my head um do you think that American liberalism is in the same vein as American conservatism and that we are trying to force our social slash moral ideas on the rest of the world at large? Yeah. I mean, look at the Middle East. Yeah. <laughs> look at Africa. I mean, for goodness yep. sake. Um, Kenya got all his money from China because it was no strings attached. Yep. <laughs> U.S. try to come and try to get us to become a get a constitution and do all this crazy stuff. We don't want that. Just help us build some roads, man. And uh, they didn't want to do it, so the Chinese did it. So, you know, I mean, let's be real. You know, the whole yeah. I mean, that yeah. So there's the question about like international, like the international question is different than the like local, like local. What's going on in the partisanship? thing um but yeah uh, internationally yeah i think it's yeah it's you're trying to trying to spread the american way but mm-hmm. it doesn't work everywhere yeah it yeah. can't work everywhere true um, so you know yeah yeah it, american way ain't working in sweden tell you that uh-huh. <laughs> they, got, they got their own thing going on over there uh-huh. so yeah but they're not trying to intervene over there so it's like the american way is like really like the only it's like we try to use it for places that we can like influence and like 
take from, I guess, in some way. It's true. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, all right, that was that was a that was. I think the question. But... So they later specified. I'm not going to read the whole example, but later specified like theology as being. Oh. Um, I mean. So, the way that that plays out man i struggle so um i think with so yeah so man, so uh willie jennings has this incredible book called talking about the christian imagination and in it he talks about that the like the importance and the um i guess the phenomenon of the translator and the teacher in terms of like translating the Bible from English to different, you know, languages in non-English speaking countries, particularly, I think it was in South Africa or some other places. And this idea that the person who brings Western theology and ideology is always the teacher and doesn't learn is a part of the problem, like the meta meta narrative. So such that if th theology is not, if the per if the the person who you know I guess is American goes somewhere else and tries to theologize the natives, but but themselves is not theologized by the native, mm -hmm. then that's when it becomes a problem. Then you're just usurping, and you're this, you're, you're there as their savior. And not not over here talking about white saviorism or whatever, but just more in terms of like that that the the uh, the 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 trope, I guess, of mm -hmm. the savior coming to the the savages or the uncivilized to not only bring them um, the gospel but also civilization, which is a an old tired um, yeah narrative. Yeah. So that's where I would I, that's what I think. I mean, just initial thoughts about that. Yeah. That's very true because I think I think that like I've heard generally white people argue that American culture, which whatever, like such a broad thing, but American culture is more godly air quotes than um, certain other cultures. And um, and I think that the irony is that I do think that there's a bit of like theological liberalism being exported to other countries that is very much just like replicating kind of a colonial model of mm -hmm. theological education. Um, and I think that uh, under the assumption that we are more enlightened and uh, which yeah. is yeah. often not the case. Um, yeah, yeah so it's it's again it's like not it's not one end of the ideological spectrum that has like a corner on this um yeah. by any yeah. stretch but um yeah. yeah i feel like yeah i mean theology outside of the states i feel in 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 in, in, in some important ways is very conservative mm -hmm. and irrespective i think of yeah and i guess in and there's here's the condescending thing that I have well, heard from some yeah. liberal theologians, like including like liberal people of color in the United States, that they have basically in, indicated or like uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking insinuate. for? Insinuate. There's the word. Thank you. Insinuated that um, people outside of the U.S. are only theologically conservative because of colonial theology to yeah. begin with, yeah. which is like. Um, maybe sometimes is true but is also kind of condescending yeah to me is, yeah yeah i mean so it's let me also not say maybe conservative so i'll say, i'll use a, a word another word traditional and or at least are more have more of a there are a lot of cultures outside of the west actually a lot of cultures also inside of the i guess you want to call it whatever the west is um uh, have a strong uh, affinity and connection to tradition and to the past mm -hmm. to history um and 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 there's and there so there's a certain way of doing theology that resonates with that kind of cultural milieu um but i think what's novel is that because those cultures are different than where we've grown up theologically here in america uh th that introduces a an almost a uh, a like a progressivist kind of 
um, element to to the work of theology. So which then can be assumed like, oh, this place, you know, will accept this, you know, liberal view of X, Y, and Z, when in fact it may not. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that, that's that that's where I go with that. But uh, you know, but there is some um, resonance with uh, how we do theology here now. Mm-hmm. I guess in the after the <laughs> the post colonial turn, that does resonate also in in some other ways that are important. Yeah, with other cultures, that also is is helpful. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's a good way of putting it. Hmm. I don't know, people just gotta stop taking things so freaking seriously in the wrong ways. Um, <laughs> yeah. I also, oh, this is just, I have like so many pet peeves about the way that discourse happens in social media spaces, but not everything is toxic just because it hurt you. Not everything is abuse. Not everything is trauma. Like some things are, and those words should be reserved for the things that that are. Some stuff is Uh, just uncomfortable. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's that's okay. And someone, someone can hurt your feelings without being abusive. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. All right, so we solved theology. What's next? Yeah, solved theology. Saving the big juicy one for, for the end. Oh, God. <laughs> so the last question was, what are your thoughts on masturbation? So, uh, man. So I, I go, I think of it, uh, I'm going to assume that a Christian asked this question. Yes. Okay. The The bigger question that they're asking is what do we think of, how do we understand pleasure? Hmm. That's the more important question that we don't know. We don't have a lot. Like you mentioned earlier, we don't have language for. So I think that is the question to, to, to answer. And also not only that, then it becomes a question of then, uh, you know, if, if if sex is then the only place that you can experience pleasure in this maybe in this kind of a way what then uh and not everybody is going to get married uh then what happens to them or i mean let's even introducing that aspect that uh, i only started thinking about that i'd never thought about before when uh, uh after listening uh, hearing uh, wesley hill is people, let's say, who have committed their lives to celibacy, how then do we understand uh, pleasure? Um, so, uh, but, and, and I'm not spiritualizing it. What I'm saying is I'm trying to think about the, to think about it in, you know, in a way that the, like that kind of act isn't just like all by itself, but is inside mm. a larger, more, uh, robust context so um so i I've, i have read a good portion of the book come as you are uh and um it's about it's about the vagina okay moki why would you be reading such a book good for you i would i would respond and say why not but exactly. a, large, a lot of the, the, the part of the thing is the book largely talks about pleasure and how we understand pleasure and in ways and the thing is like we understand it more moralistically than we do physically so mm. physically um how does pleasure work so um so okay so that's the context okay for me specifically about masturbation the 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 drive is to i think to experience pleasure the challenge i think is that it it um
it's a form of self-love that um uh that doesn't push you to relationship outside mm. of yourself um so you're training yourself to not only experience pleasure but to consummate pleasure you know by yourself mm. and uh in and I, I read this in a book a while back i can't remember what it is now and i don't even know where it is now but just talk about you know masturbation is a, is a habit that you're forming you know it's something you, and so you're forming a habit and associating pleasure with yourself and in a way that you know then like and i've seen this you know in in different places that some people who do this uh who who like just are you know i guess you, know, you call them like a chronic masturbator or something like they they cannot experience an orgasm with other people and mm -hmm. now you can say that's an extreme case and it's actually and not I, that extreme okay okay thank you yeah. for saying that so 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 again so again it comes down to that like if you're like now become in a position of so if you train yourself in that way and then now here comes so then what happens when you get a partner and then right. it's like then then it becomes difficult for them to try to to, to please you and then you, you, now you, you don't know what to do but because you can't take pleasure with them but then so you have to keep doing it yourself and it further alienates them so um so the question then becomes for me okay Moki, that's not always the case. And I would say yes to that for sure. But because of the potential for that reality to happen, I think it's just a risk that's not worth worth taking. Mm. So. Um, yeah, I have I have so many thoughts about this. I so I also like it's just hilarious like how comfortable I become talking about this stuff because I've had to like talk to it uh, talk to teenage boys about it like for my job <laughs> and so I'm just like well like might as well go there um so I apologize to anyone who's very uncomfortable right now but um I think well the first thing I think is that the act in and of itself to me is not inherently uh bad mm. um it's very like it's super common for children like developmentally right, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. yeah yeah like mm -hmm. especially mm -hmm. little girls and um even more so than little boys which is uh okay. surprises a lot of people but um it's not and it's not like a sexual thing for a child it's just something yeah. that they know feels good right and often it's a like a uh, way to cope with stress right right oh, so really? yeah yeah huh um very very often so to me that like there's obviously like if you have a kid who's like compulsively masturbating there's like bigger questions are like okay so what are the stressors in this kid's life and what what tools are they missing that this is their only tool and i don't even i actually don't even think it's necessarily uh this is going to maybe shock a lot of people and they're going to question my salvation, but I don't know that it's necessarily a bad tool. Um, I think it comes back to like what you said, what is the drive? So if the drive is to experience like sexual pleasure, then um, that is something that I believe is primarily, well, is meant for like a committed relationship um, for a like, monogamous, monogamous covenant, covenantal relationship is, I guess, how I would put it. Um, and, uh, that said, largely because of purity culture, women in particular are very like divorced from our physical bodies often because like, like just for men, like, just like, um, <laughs> for for you guys it's just it's out there right like there's there's self-exploration happens very naturally and it doesn't for a lot of women and we're very actively discouraged um to like know what our bodies are like there are women that i know who don't know their own couldn't name their own anatomy right so there's like um 
there's a piece of that and I've I've read a lot about how it can be useful for women to sort of discover their bodies as adults even even in marriage and uh reconnect with their bodies and that it can enhance their um their ability to orgasm with their partner so there's that um yeah i'm talking primarily about women now but um i and i think but then there's like the flip side which you've talked about like um to like when you, when someone becomes a compulsive masturbator, let's say, um, particularly when the activity is paired with like a lot of fantasy or pornography that can lead to all other kinds of like sexual dysfunction problems. So for women, inability to orgasm with a partner, uh, for men, like either premature or delayed ejaculation is the clinical term. So, um, there, yeah, just those things to be aware of and consider, um, yeah, but to me, it's it's not quite as like black and white as do or don't. It's what is the drive, and I, it's like it reduces stress for a lot of people. Um, and and this is just anecdotal, um, so don't don't take my word for it. But I like I have this conversation with a lot of my female friends because I think it's super interesting. And for the ones that do, it's primarily a stress reliever. It's not primarily a sexual thing which is so interesting to me. Um, so yeah, I think that that's like, it's not necessarily a do or don't it's, is this, uh, is this healthy for you? Is it going to, um, and it's not healthy for everyone. Like I would say it's not something that appeals to me personally, um, for like, and I've, I've, you know, like, had friends like question me about it and be like, okay, but why, why not? Like, why is this not something that's for you? And had to think through why it's not for me, but that doesn't necessarily, I don't think that necessarily means that it's, it's not for someone else. That's so fascinating. I, yeah, I, hmm. I think that, well, the, yeah, I mean, the, so with the, the, when it comes to kids, like that's where it, it, it complicates because that uh, also frames the activity outside of like like an awareness, I guess, of of sexual pleasure, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's the, that's the thing is like I don't really I don't have a lot of a paradigm for for it outside of you know like sexual you know pleasure. So that's where it becomes difficult to. So a lot of my view is formed you know, with that in mind. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's all, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about formation. You know what I mean? Like it's mm -hmm. like, what kind of person are you, are you forming yourself to be? Yes. And, uh, and it's tricky. I mean, that's, yeah. I, I would say that the, yeah. And, and so with, with with that it has to be something that's worked out with with, with people that you that you trust that, exactly. that can have some uh influence on 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 how, at least to make you think hard about it um and and, and, and in general i mean the the whole um reality of sex is something that is is, is really uh almost uh a taboo in, in in the at least the conservative Christian world, and in in a way, I think on the opposite side, it's just like more of like, hey, let's talk about it all the time, you know, and and so I feel like maybe, you know, a, a way to 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 like enter into the conversation in in a way that attends to the physical side, and that the importance of it, and then also in terms of formation and what kind of person you're you're becoming by how you understand physical pleasure yes um you know with yourself or with other uh, with other people um and how that shapes you uh that's that's really important yeah yeah i think that's so key is like what is this what is this doing for you in the short term but then really what is it doing for you in the long term like how is it how is it exactly what you said like how how is this behavior and how is it how is how you're thinking about this activity, this action, 
how is that forming you? And um, yeah. Because I mean, I, I remember even I was listening to, you know, the um, theology in the raw when they were talking about uh, puberty blockers and you know how the the question one, one of the questions is if you introduce these um to to kids it's going to affect it it has the potential to affect them down the road in terms of how they experience sexual pleasure with other people and actually might mm-hmm. um make them Dim- like diminish that that yeah. yeah and so it's like yeah. so so I, I think even when it comes to to pleasure, having a like thinking long term in is something that's becoming critical because the way that we understand sexuality also is changing so fast, and the ability to change um, how you how a person individually connects sexually to someone um, is changing. Like the option, man, it's it's crazy that like you literally can, you you can become whatever you want. Right. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I'm not saying that in a, in a way that's like minimizing that experience, but just to say that, that this is the world we live in. And so it's, it's like, man, it's, it's so much more important. Like it, it, it's, it's that much more important to have a long view. Yeah. Uh, and people who are on the, uh, like way down the road where you want to be helping you think through what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah, I think like just because you can become whatever you want to be doesn't mean that you should. And like yeah. de- being deliberate about who you're becoming. Um, That's right. And yeah, and I actually, this is something I wanted to bring up that I forgot to mention on this question is that like I know people who masturbate but don't use pornography, but it's very like fantasy driven for them. Mm. And like for me, that makes me really uncomfortable around like questions of consent actually and like if you're you're likely fantasizing about someone that you've met and or someone that you know and they did not give you permission to like think of them in that way and you can say like well i'm not actually doing anything to them or with them you know it's all in my head it's never going to happen but like of course that's going to impact how you see them the next time you see them. And so is this, is what you're doing causing you to view someone as more or less human and more or less a person with agency and their own body and their own and dignity and all of that. And I think that's, that's a really important question that isn't asked enough. So. Consent. That's the big one. It's the one that uh, we still have not decided whether yes means yes or no means no. <laughs> what does yes really mean? What does no really mean? Even Gosh, in 2021, yeah. we still don't know the answer to that. Well, I think um, we do. We just don't like it. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. My gosh. Well, and it seems like we've solved a lot of problems today. I think everybody should be. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, it's been, I, after today, I think everybody has everything they need for uh, to live a life of uh, uh, of godliness. Uh, and uh, wow, that was intense. But hey, season two was full of wow. Those were, we had some heavy conversations, but I think yeah. we're. I, I personally, I'm all. I'm the better for it, and uh it's crazy i think the the more the more conversations we have the more i'm like dang i don't really know a whole lot same same (laughs) or i thought i knew a whole lot and uh and i don't so yeah well man it's 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 so cool because you know uh with some 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 other people uh in a different mastermind group we talk a lot about intellectual humility and you know it's just the the appreciation for um you know knowledge and and and, and wisdom from from different places and different people um it's just always exciting to to learn from other people and uh and i think it's uh yeah i i think it's something that i man i wish i i was taught this when i was younger but um at this yeah i, I wish more people more people of faith had 
intellectual humility uh yeah. in, in in a way that uh, when it comes to decisive issues decisive beliefs um i think that would help us a lot yep so the drive to feed, to to have answers is 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 destroying us yeah i i and also so. think that for people of faith because our um our our views are are linked so much more explicitly to our identity yeah. and to our spirituality than if we were agnostic or atheist or whatever um or if we were just engaging like in a very compartmentalized way with politics or you know whatever whatever the issue is um I think that that it it is harder like it's genuinely harder for us to have intellectual humility because it's tied to everything else yeah. Yeah. and if if I'm wrong about this then what else am I wrong about and suddenly like my whole paradigm is trash and I don't know anything yep, um, yep. is the fear so yeah that's yeah. that's a it's a big risk to take to be wrong yeah but the irony is that when you realize that you are wrong then you're free Mm-hmm. To be to to learn how to be right, yep. and the thing and the great thing is that when you when you learn to be right, you realize that it's not even about being right in the first place. So, yeah, man, that was a great last word, man. I, I, my mm-hmm. goodness, I got the spirit with me today. Well, I tell you, man, that was heavy. It's a good a good and- final episode of season two. Yeah. Hey, Anne, one last question. What story hmm. is your life telling? Oh, great question. Um, I actually uh, talked about this with some friends a couple weeks ago, so I have, I have an answer. <laughs> um, I think that my story, the story my life is telling is that um, God has been my home. And I think like largely because growing up I like my family moved around some and I was the misfit of every group that ever pretty much up until college like um I have like I had like two friends in high school legitimately and uh one of them I'm still very close to but um yeah like two friends in high school and that was very very typical for me and um even, even since I think like one of the things about being into my thirties and being single, like very single and like also pretty comfortable being single that is hard is that I don't have roots anywhere. Like when you, when you're not partnered, you don't, it's like much harder to put down roots and build community that is like, uh, not transitory. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I sort of have this, like, omnipresent insecurity about not belonging and uh or not having permanence um and I think that when I but when I look back at my life I can see how um like all along like I can see the presence of God and um and recognize that he has made made space for me everywhere that I've been um even when I didn't necessarily recognize it at the time and um like I think you know David talks about how God is like his portion and his inheritance and I think that that's something that I really think that I'm going to see borne out in the next like decade of life so yeah wow that's powerful Mm, how about how about you Oh, I was about to, I was about to end this thing. Uh, <laughs> life is telling. Uh, yeah, geez, what is it? Um, uh, yeah, you just gotta you gotta be who you are in this world, and uh, and just you know be yourself uh to the limit and uh you know you gotta you know 
uh, this past year left dealt with a lot of disappointment, but they just keep moving forward. And I think that's the the key is you know you um, you just have to be you. There's there's no, nothing else you can you can do. And um, uh, and, and that really that really is it. You know I um, you know I'm you know I got I got my wife. I got I got my son and. Um, I just, I'm, I'm who I am, you know, and that's just, uh, yeah, I think that, that the story is that, you know, I just, I am who I am and, uh, I do the best I can to, to help others and, um, and that's, that's it. Hmm. Yeah. It's pretty simple. Simple is better, I think. Yeah. It's the only way I can have some kind of, yeah, I, I, if it's too complicated, I can't, there's nothing I got I can't do anything about it, but if it's simple, then I can just, um, it's an easy filter to do, to, you know, to make decisions, you know? Yep. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. So, Hey, good world. Season two is a wrap. Thank you for hanging with us. It's always been real, uh, you know, and, uh, with for from uh myself from Anne and Crystal wherever the wherever the doggone hell she is, um, <laughs> it's a fun ride. We always appreciate you guys listening. Go ahead, review us. Uh, leave leave a five star review if you dig it, a one star review if you hate it. Um, and we'll do our best to uh um. You know what? We ain't gonna do our best to do anything. We just gonna keep being ourselves because that's what the story god is telling my life and that's what i'm gonna keep doing so go ahead and leave your one-star reviews but let me know why and uh and we can and we can do what we can um but it's it's real for us uh we love y'all uh and it's been real real as it's ever been mm-hmm. uh from us here at the gpp i am your host smoking Sal, and we're out of here